mind, body, nutrition, the Triple Play Podcast. Because everybody's an athlete in this game of life. Get off the sidelines. Time to get in the game. Aloha, aloha, aloha. This is Dr. Mike from the Triple Play Performance Podcast. And we are broadcasting from Oahu, Hawaii. And it's a beautiful day in Hawaii. Despite all of the things that are going on in the world with the pandemic and all of that stuff. So, you know what? I'm really grateful that I'm able to still communicate with all of you guys either if it's through Instagram, Facebook, this podcast, um, my newsletter, all of those things, I'm still able to communicate with all of you and you're able to communicate back to me. So that's been that's been one of the things that's been helping me through all of this hullabaloo or whatever you call it. You know, it's, it's a very different time. Um, we, we've seen a lot of adaptations and I'm sure you have been adapting. You know, our kids are at home, actually upstairs right now in their virtual classrooms. My wife is a, she's a substitute teacher, so she's teaching virtually as well. And everybody's trying to just adjust and make do with what we have, you know? And I'm, I'm just so grateful that um, we're able to have this level of technology um, you know I'm, I've been able to dive more into different podcasts uh, listening to more people jumping on live streams and I've seen a lot of people uh, giving out great information you know and I've been able to learn a lot um, and I hope you guys have been able to learn a lot from the things that I've been posting on Instagram and connecting with you guys on there and also also as of right now the hottest thing on social media is Clubhouse. And I've been diving into that and it's been a great medium to communicate. Um, uh, it's a little bit different than most of the social other social media platforms because it's a live, interactive, audio only social media platform. You know, unlike Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, this stuff that's on there in one it's live it's it's you know nothing is well nothing is really pre-planned you know nothing's really scripted it's off the cuff uh, it's it basically sitting around a, like sitting around a table sitting around a campfire and just chatting and nothing is recorded nothing lives on there so you got to be there in the moment and, and there's something something organic to that you know there, there's something that you get off of just being in the moment speaking in the moment and listening in the moment and there's something to that um, that has a different type of connection you know and, and through this pandemic I think that's what everybody is craving for it is that level of connection that level of being able to communicate person to person human to human and uh, guys I love Clubhouse only drawback with Clubhouse that the couple drawbacks uh, one is currently it's an invite only, you know. So maybe if you guys are listening to this a couple years from now, Clubhouse is either blown up or it's non-existent. But currently, it's only in you know you have to be invited by somebody who's already in Clubhouse, and um, they get a certain amount of invites. Or if you're already in their contact list, then when you register and you reserve your name, they'll be able to either let you in or not let you in. 
the crew they won't let you in right so that's currently the, the only way that people can kind of get in is you got to be invited so it's a level of exclusivity and then the other thing is um you know you got it's it's really only on iphone at uh, well not just say iphone ios because you can get it on if you have an apple ipad um or an iphone any any device that has an ios on it so currently it's only on that now um yeah that leaves off a bunch of people who are android users but i i, I foresee that um only being for a short amount of time you know they're creating this ex- exclusivity i think it only launched the latter part of 2020 and it's taken off you know and, and so with the whole pandemic we've been seeing this level of adaptation so that we can remain in this state of communication right we've seen zoom take off uh, we've seen live um, streaming media take off youtube channels have been exploding and we you got to always look at the upside of things, right? Even despite of everything going on, you got to look at the upside of things. And you know, apps coming out like Clubhouse, allowing us to communicate at the level that we would want to communicate at, it's pretty awesome in my opinion. So, with that said, I'm on Clubhouse. My my username is Triple Play Doc. If you are on there, look me up. Um, I'm planning to do. I've, I've, I've really only been diving into it. In the last week or so um as as far as holding my own rooms and that's the thing you go into these different rooms and you're able to listen to and you're able to ask questions directly and interact with people directly so it's pretty cool and it's all in real time um so if you're on there look me up follow me i'm, I'm planning to host every single wednesday 3 p.m hawaii time 5 p.m well west coast that'll change to like 6 p.m once daylight savings or non-daylight savings whatever you know whenever we switch back and forth um either two hours ahead or three hours ahead of hawaii being that i'm in hawaii so if you're on there i'll be hosting a room called the wellness wednesdays and we'll go for different topics and you can just can ask any questions and i'll be on there for about an hour or so just chatting with people and, and connecting as human beings on there so a lot of great people on that so in today's podcast I wanted to do a, a answering of your questions that you guys have been asking. A lot of, uh, I do, for those of you who don't know by now, I do a Q&A session every single week on Instagram, on Instagram stories. So on Wednesday afternoons, I post a question box and then on Thursdays, I answer them as best as possible, as much as I, I can get to. And there are hundreds and hundreds of questions that come in. Um, a lot of them overlap. But a lot of them I, I can't get to just due to time constraints. Um, and it takes me a while to, to sit there and type these out. I used to answer them via video. Um, but being that we have a lot of uh, a, a big community that there's a hearing impaired that follow me on Instagram. Um, I choose to type it out just so that they get, you know, they can interact as well. Um, and that's why we, we uh, transcribe these podcasts as well for that reason um so it takes me a while to, to go through one you know go through the questions and then to answer them and, and sitting there and typing them out because even the voice to type function on the phones actually doesn't come out that well i mean i get some funky words that come out i uh, i should post those sometimes because those are hilarious when especially in the medical 
related words, some of the things that come out. Oh boy. Um, so I wanted to, you know, take some time during, you know, podcast episodes to go back and look at some of the questions that I really either wasn't able to answer and there was really good questions or questions that I think needed a lengthier answer, a lengthier explanation than the ones I could give, you know, with the limited amount of typing space that I have on that platform. So I wanted to go through, you know, some of these questions. Number one question uh, from last week that I wasn't able to answer that needed a longer explanation was what are some of the things that I would recommend to do with helping healing after a surgery? So one of the things that that helps with surgical recovery, any type of trauma recovery is preparing going into it. So there's a lot of things that people really miss out on and and maybe because they're not aware of it, but this is what we do for every single patient. If we know that they're going to go into surgery, these are some of the things that I recommend to them, which has worked amazing. And, and we're talking, you know, even stuff down to uh, if you're getting just dental work done, you know, um, I have a lot of patients that go in for wisdom teeth removal or any type of um, oral surgery um, or uh, Maybe somebody's going in for some type of orthopedic intervention, whether it's a shoulder, um, knee, hip. All of these surgical interventions creates trauma in the body. And if we can prepare the body for that, then the body's going to heal much faster. Now, to step back, one of the things that we have to realize is how much electricity in the body plays a role. And there's a great book called The Body Electric by Robert Becker. And basically, the, in, a, in a nutshell, what this book entailed was his research looking at why do you know, creatures like salamanders, they can cut off their tail or any of their limbs and it'll grow back. I mean, if you guys ever been around lizards and, and all that stuff, you guys probably have seen their, their tails get cut off and then they end up growing back. Or even, um, even if it's not fully grown back, it's like a, a stub grows back. In um, and we rarely see that in humans, right? If you cut off a human's limb, you don't necessarily see uh, an arm or a leg growing back in its full capacity. So he he studied why does this happen, and what he found was that during an injury, what happens is that the body ends up increasing the amount of electricity to that area. All right, we 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 know. Now, whenever a body part gets injured, we see inflammation, we see swelling, we see um, all of these things that comprises traumatic injury to an area. But basically what's happening in, in that sense on an electrical level is the body's increasing electricity so that the, the cellular components that helps with repairing regeneration will basically help the body heal faster. So... There's a couple things that we do for that. One of them happens to be using red light therapy. You know, you guys hear me talk a lot about a red light therapy. Um, the common form of red light therapy that we get in nature is from the sun, right? We get full spectrum light and there's a huge component of the red spectrum and also the infrared. And that can help increase that electrical capacity and electroactivity into the area and it speeds up wound healing. Um, I had one of my mentors, his wife got into a major accident and 
lacerations all over her face and her body. And while she was recovering, he used red light on her. And within a month period, she was able to fully recover. And the biggest part was she had minimal scarring. And that was one of the things, things that opened my eyes up to red light therapy was seeing how it can help the body heal, but also minimize the amount of scar tissue um, that occurs. And that's one of the big things that occurs during surgical procedures on why people are left with chronic pain syndromes is the amount of scar tissue that's left behind. So number one thing is red light therapy. There's a bunch on the market. Um, there's there, you know companies like Juve. Um, there's other companies that are that I see coming out on the market. Uh, we use both Juve and Sauna Space. I like them both. Um, they both work equally well. There's low level laser therapies like Erconia, which we which we use as well. Um, so if you're fortunate enough to have one of those, or if you have the means to be able to get one of those, I highly recommend you invest in one of those things, especially if you're going to go into surgery, especially if you're in sports. So, so those of you who are athletes, you guys got to have one of these because every single sporting activity is creating traumatic injury to your body and you need to help your body heal and recover so that you can get out there and perform again. So red light therapy, number one, number two is proteolytic enzymes. Now what happens when you have trauma to the body is you have all these pro protein fragments that gets frayed, right? And that's just the process of trauma in the body. So what proteolytic enzymes taken on an empty stomach, what they do is they, they, they act like little like Pac-Man and they go around and they eat away all of these protein fragments, which is what creates that chronic inflammatory response. So whenever you get surgery, you have inflammation that, that sticks around and you have all these protein fragments that needs to be curbed. And the best way um, that's non-invasive is utilizing proteolytic enzymes. So we've used this a lot. I use this a lot with people who have uh, disc injuries. They, they come in and they are complaining of some type of disc problem. And we use high doses of proteolytic enzymes on an empty stomach. And within two to three days, that pain will subside. We also use this for preparing the body for, for surgery. So we use high doses of proteolytic enzymes pre-surgery and we start priming the body about three to four days. Sometimes if it's a really big surgery, we do that um, beforehand. And then after surgery as well, we're using high doses of proteolytic enzymes on an empty stomach. You don't take it on an empty stomach and you take it with food, it's going to digest the food. So you take it away from the food um, and then it helps to mitigate all of that inflammatory response. And then the next thing that we always utilize with recovering from surgery trauma is molecular hydrogen. And in this one, on a clinical setting, we use an inhalation device for molecular hydrogen. And we also use a topical version. So we use a topical version. And what we do is we stack these things. So I'm, I'm usually utilizing some type of um, red light therapy and then utilizing the molecular hydrogen. And I, what I do is I use it on a topic, topical application. Sometimes what we use is a bag and we bag the area. So if it's a knee, we bag the knee and we put the, uh, the hose that's coming in from the molecular hydrogen machine. And then we bag the area while we're shining the red light. And... 
And then I'm going to talk about another one that, that we're doing um, as well, keeping the body grounded, getting more electricity, more electrons to the area. And this just speeds up healing. Okay. So most of you are not going to have a molecular hydrogen machine. They're very costly, uh, uh, some upwards of three to $6,000. I mean, that's relatively cheaper than what they were, you know, a decade ago. So if you wanted to um, invest in one of those, I highly recommend it for, um, because inhalation of molecular hydrogen, as well as the most easiest form to get it, would be molecular hydrogen tablets, where they're basically just using magnesium oxide. You put it in your water, you get this bubbling reaction, and you drink it, and then you're able to get the molecular hydrogen through your digestive tract and it gets into circulation. Um, you know, I've talked about that a lot on Instagram. You guys hear me talk about that a lot. So, utilizing that um, as well as the enzymes as well as the red light therapy works wonders and then another one i i, I alluded to that earlier is grounding I, and um, one of my mentors he worked with the the riders on the tour de france and what they would use for their daily recovery from either just general trauma from from riding or if they had a lot of if they fell during the ride what they would use are these earthing um, patches, right? And it's very simple. It's, you know, like if you ever use like a muscle, muscle stimulating machine, they have those um, electrode patches. So basically they have these electrode patches, but what the wires are hooked onto is the ground and like literally the ground, they'll plug it into the ground. Or if you have uh, an, an outlet, you hook it up into the, uh, um, the grounding part of a three prong outlet. Right. If you guys don't know what that looks like, if you look at the outlet in the three prongs, it looks like a, f a face with a mouth wide open. You're sticking this part into the mouth part. That's the ground of the outlet. So they have these special um, electrodes that you can hook up to the area of, of your surgical procedure. And then you can leave that on pretty much all night. And what you're doing is you're increasing that current of injury, of current of healing into that area okay so those are the major major ones that i'll utilize so again red light therapy proteolytic enzymes molecular hydrogen and earthing are the four major ones that we will use pre and post surgical recovery the next question is a fairly common question that i get about gut health as you guys know, um, I have a course called the Total Gut Restore Program, and it focuses on helping you to get that gut back into order. Now, one, a, a common question I get about it is, well, how do we know if the gut is back into balance? Right? It's a fair question. Now, there's a couple of ways that you can go about this. You know, the cheapest way is looking at your symptomatic picture. Um, so for most gut issues, it's pretty obvious where if you have bloating, you no longer have bloating. If you have constipation, diarrhea, that starts to normalize out. If uh, you notice that you eat something, a specific food, and you get a reaction, you no longer react to that food. So there's just that overall simple symptomatic picture outlook. Okay, so there's that way. Now, for a, for a lot of people, 
you may not have that deep of a symptomatic picture. You may not have any type of manifestation in that area, but it may manifest in other areas where, um, you know, your stress is impacted or it's impacting, you know, an, an autoimmune condition. Now with that, there are, there are tests that you can actually do. Um, one of my favorite tests that I like to turn towards, um, or there's actually two that I would turn towards. One is by Genova Diagnostics and it's called GI Effects. And that gives you a pretty much comprehensive picture of the gut function. It, it'll look at the, the different pathways. Um, it'll look at if you're having any type of infections that you're missing, whether it's H. pylori or uh, candida or any type of opportunistic um, um, bacteria, parasites as well. It'll give you a picture on that and that'll, that'll then tell you, is your gut functioning? right? And there's a lot of things that we look at in gut function. We look at your overall um, hydrochloric acid production, your enzymes, if you're able to digest, you know, proteins, fats, carbohydrates properly. Uh, We look at the gut wall integrity. We look at the gut mucosal integrity as well. The immune reaction, immune reactivity within the gut. We want, we want to have a high state of um, immunity and a low state of reactivity, uh, we look at the gut barrier uh, function, whether or not there are cases of leaky gut. Um, we look at things like uh, like small, intest- small intestinal bowel organisms, overgrowths, all of those things that is just basically um, making the gut be out of balance. And the GI effects will show us all of those things. So uh, don't quote me on the price because the price changes a lot. Um, so on average, I think that test will run about 300 to $400. Uh, I think some insurances do cover that, but that's, that's another great way of knowing, um, how, how do I know if my gut's functioning properly? Now, another test that I always turn towards is Viome and Viome will look at your microbiome, um, balance. And the great thing about that one is, you know, I talk about the the different genomes in your body, where we have our cellular nuclear genome, it's our our body. And then we have within the cell, we have the mitochondrial uh, genome, mitochondrial DNA, which is a totally separate genome. And then we have the the microbial, uh, microbiome uh, genome, which is all the different microbes that are, that live in our body that we need to survive properly. And you got to have all those in balance, right? So the volume will show you, give you this insight into the balance of that microbiome and it'll give you an insight into the microbiome genetics. So we, what that tells us is one, okay, if if it's out of balance, we got to know what to do to get it back into balance. And then the second part is, well, what's, their genetic propensities, right? What do we need to do to, you know, supply the demands of those, that genetic profile? Because a lot of times we just look at, hey, you know, um, what's my genetic profile? And that only gives us basically a third of the picture because that's only really a third of the genes that really matter. 
So the Viome test gives us huge amounts and it also shows the reactivity of the microbiome to certain foods. So maybe the, you know, your gut doesn't react to certain foods, but the microbiome does. So, you know, when we look at food sensitivity tests, and that's another one, by the way, there's a food sensitivity test and there's, there's a bunch of food sensitivity tests that I, that are utilized. There's a few that I like. Um, one is by Dunwoody Labs, and I talk about this a lot. That one you need to go to a physician to get ordered, and then um, and then it'll specify all the different types that you are currently reacting to, and that your body doesn't agree with currently. So now you take that information, what your body doesn't like, and you take the information of the biome, and you you cross you know you cross reference it, and you say, okay, so my gut doesn't like asparagus the um the biome test shows that the microbiome yeah they doesn't like asparagus so that's pretty much a no-no right we want to make sure we stay away from that um and then you know especially if both things doesn't agree with you you're going to stay away from those things so it just gives you a bigger insight into um what you should be doing and how to heal that whole aspect now you guys can get even further deeper and looking at further things like um, gut barrier function. There, there are different tests that look into that, and there are other things like bioresonance. You know, I got a, I got a, I got a question. I don't know if it was this week or last week that asked. You know, what's the validity of that? And there's huge validity to it. You know, I've seen a lot of correlation of what I read on a bioresonance scan to what's being shown from just a general lab scan and what's showing even just on a general physical examination. There's a lot of correlation with that. Like all of these tests that I talk about, they should never be used in isolation just to give you, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, if this showed positive, you know, you can't take that in isolation. You got to look at the overall picture of what is a clinical picture. Um, does it correlate to all of these things? And that's, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people, they dive into genomics, by the way. And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm totally, you know, I have this gene, therefore I need to do this. And that's all they focus on rather than getting a bigger picture, right? The more, more data that you can gain, the better. Uh, understanding of your overall health picture you're going to get. So that's that, that that's some of the ways that um, I tell patients, how do, how do I know when the gut's healed? Now, the other question is, well, what happens once the gut is quote unquote healed? Well, the secret is you need to keep doing the things that allowed it to heal. Because the majority of the healing takes place when you stop doing the things that impede healing. So, it takes this it takes this really cognitive effort to look at hmm these are the things that i was doing previously once i stopped doing those things my body responded better so it takes this cognitive approach to know what i should not be doing and also what i should be doing and the way that you keep that you know you keep that healing going is you keep doing the things that got you better and you stop doing the things that got you sick that's what you do afterwards and the thing about the gut is it's very dynamic right the gut can go out of balance 
in hours. I mean, we're talking hours. And it can get back into balance in a few days. So it's very dynamic because the gut is the interface between the inside world of our body and the outside world. And it, and it serves as our first line of defense to the external environment. So it's constantly being bombarded by toxins, by parasites, by you know, different foods. If you're not digesting it properly and it's going down and you know, the immune system within the gut is reacting to it. It's constantly being bombarded every single day. So the, that's why it's so hard to answer that question of how do I know when my gut's healed? Because it's being bombarded every day. So, I mean, your gut could be healed on a Friday and then you come into contact with something that throws it off on a Saturday. And by Sunday, you know, you're back to square one. So it's really hard to say, yeah, your gut's healed. Move on with your life. It's this constant, constant battle of making sure that you're doing the right things so that it remains well. Another question is a, another common question I get is what's my best pillow recommendation? Um, this is a hard one because I always tell patients when they ask me this question and I answer it with, it depends. It depends upon your current structural makeup, right? If you have a severe um, forward head carriage where your your neck, and this is a lot of people, by the way, especially in this day and age of um, mobile vi- mobile device use of being on the computer all day long, we see a lot of people's um, head being f- in more of a forward posture, um, uh, shoulders rounding and slouching. We see a lot of that. So what happens with that is that the neck, which is supposed to have a curve going backwards, the neck starts to straighten out. And this puts a lot of strain on the muscles of the neck and can lead towards headaches and all sorts of issues. Now, with a neck like that, a pillow recommendation is going to vary. Now, to go beyond all of this, the actual answer to that question And this is like the more advanced thing, which is actually the more basic part, the more fundamental part is we actually shouldn't be using a pillow. And that's that's the answer that most patients don't want to hear. Yet instinctively, we all know this. And we we look at humans throughout history. And you look at a lot of cultures, they actually sleep on the ground. And they sleep um, on the ground. You know, without any type of padding. And what happens with that is the supporting muscles of the spine have to react to that. And it's actually another sort of stressor on our body that actually our body needs to maintain our spinal integrity. And we see that a lot of people who sleep on firmer mattresses or even sleep on the ground or spend a lot of time on the ground, whether it's sitting or lying down on the, on the ground on, on a firmer surface, their muscles are able to support their structure a lot better. And for me, I started moving away from using a pillow, you know, years ago. And I still utilize a pillow, um, you know, on occasion. But I find that, you know, when I do utilize a pillow, um, my neck, because it's so used to, to not having a pillow, didn't like it. 
Now, that's the same thing that's going to happen when you've been using a pillow all along and you move towards not using a pillow, then your body's going to take time to get adapted to that. It's the same thing when people ask me about footwear. And I tell them the best footwear is none, is going barefoot because of you know our, our, our intrinsic muscles of the foot. They don't get that exercise and they don't get that what's called proprioception from being you know in contact with flat ground same thing happens in our neck in our spine if we're sleeping on too soft of surfaces whether it's a mattress whether it's the pillow then the intrinsic spinal muscles they don't they don't have to work as well you know they get to go on vacation what happens when they go on vacation is when you do have spinal demands like being in an upright posture they don't fire properly so the overall answer to that of what's my best pillow recommendation is actually none now the way that i encourage people is you start off with whatever pillow feels comfortable for you for some people they need a lot of cervical support a lot of people like those uh, pillows that have a curvature and the um, for the cervical spine a lot of people are, may need one of those pillows that have a cutout for side sleeping so that they can put their arm through it. There's those pillows. Now, whatever pillow you utilize and it feels comfortable for you, utilize that. But in the meantime, you're going to start by working your way from not u- utilizing it. So you may, and th- you, this is going to disrupt your sleep, no, no doubt about it. You may want to start off with the pillow or I mean, without the pillow. And then, you know, you, you may feel uncomfortable um, during your sleep and you wake up, then utilize your pillow. But try to move it to a, where you don't have to utilize the pillow over time. Okay? If you're sitting, you know, in your living room, try to sit on the ground rather than sitting on the sofa or uh, the love seat or any of any of the soft chairs. Give your body that stressor so that it can it can start building that strength back up you know try and and sit on hard surfaces um, because one it'll be uncomfortable and it'll force you to constantly move around and shifting your your posture and shifting your position and that is great for your overall posture because you're activating all the intrinsic muscles remember that our bodies have been used to and it requires these types of things that it's been exposed to for thousands and thousands of years. So start there. Work your way towards utilizing less of a pillow at night. That's my answer. All right, the last question I'm going to take for this podcast episode is what are my thoughts on the different fitness trackers, you know, like Fitbit, O-Ring, Whoop, all of those. And that, that that's a, it's a big industry, right? I mean, it's given us a lot, a lot of information, um, but there are some drawbacks to a lot of them. Now, this answer is not going to be comprehensive. I'm sure it's going to change. Um, like my stances changes on, on, a, on a bunch of things. And a lot of the times, the reason why I change my stance on certain things is usually because of the change in what the company is either producing in the product or what the product is actually doing from the change. And what I mean by that in in the case of these trackers is 
a lot of times they they put out the product and then they look at it and say, okay, how do we improve it? And sometimes the improvements actually are detrimental. Um, or and sometimes the improvements may actually be a really good thing. For example, like Aura Ring, when they first started, uh, one of the complaints from a lot of people were there was no way to put the Aura Ring into an airplane mode so that it wouldn't be constantly sending out Bluetooth signal. And that was one of the complaints that I had. And then when they heard that, and once they implemented those changes into the Aura Ring, now, you know, I love that thing. Um, it gives great information. It's, uh, it doesn't, you know, it's not putting off Bluetooth signal all the time. You can put it in airplane mode. And those are my common complaints. Now, I have a big complaint against um, the Apple iWatch. And one of the complaints that I have is, one, the Apple iWatch, especially if you have the one that makes phone calls and puts out a cellular signal, and I'm sure they're going to do a lot of other stuff to this in the future, um, that, in my opinion, will be detrimental. I don't ever foresee Apple going the way where they're going to listen to a smaller set of the community like myself and make and implement those changes and the critiques that I have against that. Well, my problem with that is Apple Watch puts off a lot of non-native EMFs. So EMFs that our body are, is not accustomed to. And it may be even a small amount, but our body is not accustomed to that. Right? It's like, like poison, you know, poison in a small amount is still poison. Our body, it, there's no value to it. So these non-native EMFs, um, they wreak havoc on, havoc on the body. And these are like scientifically proven. It's not, you know, things that, you know, the wellness community is just making up. This is like lots and lots of scientifically backed research to this. Now, the problem I have with the, the Apple Watch, and I posted about this a lot in, in, in my Instagram stories, is that one, these non-native EMFs, they don't become so detrimental the farther you move away from it. Okay, it's, it, it, it's like anything, anything else. The farther you get away from the source, the less detrimental it becomes. Apple Watch is sitting right there on your wrist in direct contact with your wrist. And the thing about your wrist is that there are major acupuncture points and there are major arteries that run through there, like your radio and ulnar arteries. And what happens there is if you are putting a device that's putting out these non-native EMFs, you're irradiating your entire blood supply. And that's creating these drastic changes in cellular function. I mean, we're talking your entire blood supply. And there's a technique of, um, that we use that electrifies the blood to actually rid the blood of any type of parasites. Um, you can read on Bob Beck's work with cancer therapies. And this is one of the things that, that we do with blood electrification. And you, know, you, leave, you leave on these devices uh, for blood electrification for like an hour or so, and you go through the entire person's blood supply to actually get rid of these, these parasites. Now, with that said, you're doing the exact same thing with the Apple Watch, except it's you're not. It doesn't have a higher, high electri electrification to do those things as getting rid of parasites. It's not necessarily beneficial, but it's affecting the red blood cells is affecting the different types of um, the water structuring in your blood, 
which is a really big one. Um, I don't know on this for sure, but I'm I'm pretty positive that it's going to affect the way that the hemoglobin is either binding to oxygen or not binding to oxygen. So it may decrease your oxygen carrying capacity, right? I mean, iron is reactive to electromagnetic forces. You're going to change the blood calcium levels because that's what EMFs act upon is the voltage gated calcium channel. So you're going to get this whole myriad of issues from the watch, you know, and we're not even talking about the the acupuncture meridians that it's affecting that that's on your wrist, right? If you go to any type of traditional acupuncturist, they use what's called pulse point therapy, pulse point diagnosis, where they're feeling the pulse on your wrist to make their diagnosis on which meridians are affected. And they and it takes years of training to do that, by the way. But you know, you got to figure if they've been using that type of diagnosis for thousands and thousands of years how important is that area of the wrist and so uh, apple watch i'm not a fan of whoop i think there's an airplane mode on that but what i found when i've worked with patients is that it doesn't necessarily give that accurate of an information right i, I see uh, you know a strong discorrelation between um whoop and for its especially for its HRV and chest strap HRV. I mean, chest strap HRV is the most accurate form of HRV um, outside of going straight into the heart. So we measure between the two, and the whoop just gives us weird uh, readings. And even when we try to correlate that with like an aura ring, um, and there's a cup of oh, Fitbit. Fitbit's the other one. Uh, Fitbit was actually more accurate than the whoop in 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 terms of that hrv correlation but um i'm sorry it the the sleep correlation with the fitbit and the whoop that's what I, that's what i meant to say yeah the, like the sleep correlation um between the fitbit and the aura ring was pretty much spot on uh, the whoop was like totally off i mean like 30 40 percent off like really really big ones and this was I've seen this in, in a lot of patients. So the whoop's not my favorite one on the list, but it does give you more information than not having any information. Um, so the top of my list for any of these trackers, um, I would start with Aura Ring. That would, that's my top of the list. And then move down to something like uh, something like the Fitbit. Only My only issue with Fitbit is that I don't know as of right now if there's an ability to put it into airplane mode. I think that there is. I'm not sure. They're always changing it. So um, from month to month, I mean, I'm working with clients and we we pull up their Fitbit data and I'm, I'm looking at it and it's totally different from month to month um, as far as the user interface. So uh, Fitbit's another one. Um, Right below that, I'm, and I'm just listing the most common ones that I know of. The next one would be Whoop, and then the last one, the last one out of all of them would be the Apple iWatch. So those are my uh, my recommendations as far as the the trackers. All right, that wraps it up for this Q&A episode. Like I said, every single Wednesday, I post the question box on instagram stories so if you're not following me on instagram yet follow me at triple play doc every single wednesday i post that uh i post that box and you can ask your questions 
I may or may not get to the answers, but what I'm trying to do is the longer answers, I'm trying to answer them on the podcast. So there'll be way more episodes now on the on Q&A episodes. So hit me up there. Also look me up on Clubhouse. I'll be there every single Wednesday doing the Wellness Wednesdays. And to the next time, this is Dr. Mike saying be well and aloha. Hey, if you've enjoyed this podcast, leave us a five-star review. Connect with me on Instagram at Triple Play Doc. Stay tuned for more episodes. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell the entire world. Till the next episode, be well and aloha.